Hi and welcome to History Makers, I'm Matt Prater. Today my guest is Pastor Dennis Barnard from Meadowbrook Church in Queensland. How you doing mate? I'm fine mate, yeah. Now it's good to have you along and uh, you and I have been good buddies for a while and uh, I know you were raised in New Zealand. I'd love to know a bit of your early life. Uh, Whereabouts were you born and raised? I was born in... The best way to say is Wellington, New Zealand, and a place called Lower Hutt, and up the road was another place called Up Hutt, and they're still there. <laughs> Very good. And uh, did you have a uh, religious upbringing at all? Yeah, my folks were um, part of what we call the Churches of Christ, which they here in Australia, and very similar to the Baptist Church. They were very committed to that church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about uh, your uh, early uh, conversion experience? Did you did you come to faith at a at a dramatic conversion, or was it a gradual thing? No, it was gradual, but it was also dramatic. Um, I was brought up, as I say, in a Christian family, but I didn't know much reality. We, it was fairly traditional, and then we had an evangelist come while we were waiting for a new minister. And this guy, I thought, this guy is different. He had a great big black Bible, and he was about five foot nothing. But when he spoke, he spoke with great authority, and he, the scriptures came alive. And he had three beautiful daughters, which caught my attention because I was about 14. <laughs> and it was through that that I began, I took my first step. And I, at that stage, I was being bullied at school. And my dad didn't, he was English and he didn't teach me to defend myself. It was just, my father was basically orphaned at 17 in a little country town called Featherston in New Zealand. And um, from 17, he had to support himself for the rest of his life. He, his father went back to... London, because he'd been a white glove chauffeur, and he came out to New Zealand, he was cutting gorse, which is a, a terrible weed that's introduced from Mother England. Couldn't hack it. Borrowed a hundred pound, went back. So Dad from, so Dad really had no father figure, and uh, so he didn't teach me that. So I was in a lot of trouble. I was depressed. I was actually going and sleeping in my parents' bed because I couldn't sleep because I was so afraid about the next day. I was 14. Well, Noel Gibson helped me through that time, but I didn't have any fellowship. He moved on. We got a new pastor, and he wore a Batman suit, and we lost reality again. But I made a determination that when I was turned 18 and could get a car, you get your license at, driver's license at 15, I was going to go and seek these people out. Well, God sought me out because some people became Christians, two young girls called, one called Maureen Lovett and one called Barbara Lowe. They, one of them lives here in the city. Um they came to our church and started to talk about Jesus as his personal friend. I thought, what's wrong with me? I've been in church all my life. They've just come straight out of the world. They've got a vibrant faith. I've got nothing. So I knew that they were going to a group called Open Air Campaigners in the afternoon. So I got to know them, and I took them in my Fiat 500, which is a very <laughs> large car. It's like a blown-up <laughs> blowfly. And I got involved with that group, and I was absolutely staggered. They took me to a prayer meeting, and people were saying, yes. And it was like they were talking to God, and he was in the room. And that really worried me. I thought, I've prayed the prayer like they talk. I've done all this thing, but they've got something I haven't got. And that's when God, and I went home, and I said, 
I was starting to get really desperate. I thought, what's wrong with me? I've prayed this in this prayer, but I don't have the reality that these people have. And that's when God spoke to me in the night, reading the Bible in my bedroom. My brother and myself shared the same bedroom, separate beds, of course. <laughs> and I was reading it under my the sheets. I don't know how I was doing it, but it must have had a torch or something. And I didn't want to look too religious. And God spoke to me. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but love and power of Samon. And from that moment to this day, I knew that God was in my life. Most wonderful thing. And was there a massive change? Did everyone see the difference in you after that? Yeah, my parents got worried. They thought he's got gone religious. Now, they were Christians, but they didn't have the reality that I had. My whole family changed the result of my conversion. Mum and Dad knew the Lord, but it was it was sort of religious. My brother did, but... My brother recommitted his life, and he lives in the city to this day. Um, and and Dad and and Mum revitalised their faith because wow. they, th- they thought it wouldn't last. This was just a phase, but it's never stopped. And tell us, what did you do for an early career? Um, I did an apprenticeship in horticulture and gardening for five years uh, with the Lower Hutt City Council, and um, principally because I didn't know what else to do, and I, I loved things to do with nature, and, and so that's my early career. And then I went on from that and just established my own business, got married, established my own landscaping and uh, maintenance business in Wellington in New Zealand. But it was a tough, tough climate. Wellington is a beautiful place on a beautiful day, but they are few and far between. I'm sorry if you're hearing this in Wellington. Jesus <laughs> still loves you. And I, lo- I, <laughs> I love Wellington, but to run a business there was terrible. So I'd do painting, all sorts of things, just to get income. By the stage, I had three children. And um, so we decided that we'd either go to Auckland or we'd come to Brisbane. We had friends here, and they said things were great here. So I jumped on a plane, had a bit of money in those days, and I came, and I was absolutely amazed. I rang my wife. It was in August. It was Ecca time. And I rang her. I said, it's blue sky every flipping day. And she thought I'd lost my marbles. (laughs) Because in in Wellington, blue sky is a fairly rare event in summer. I'm exaggerating, but and so anyway, I, I attended a church called Christian Life Centre in the Valley, Trevor Chandler, Pastor Trevor Chandler, and I came to the conclusion that God was speaking to us to move to Brisbane, and I thought, God, I just need a confirmation of this, and there was a prophetic word came into that church that said, "You've been shown." the way to go, and if you don't do it, for you it would be unbelief. I thought, that's it, I'm stuck. I've got to come. So I went home and I told my wife, I said, we're going, and this is what God said. And within two weeks, we sold up the business, and the guy that bought the business reaped all the joy from it because I'd established it, but he got the profit. <laughs> and I heard the next thing, he's in Australia on high, sort of the rat bank. <laughs> but we sold everything up, and we came over, but... Um, and we knew God was calling us. We didn't know what for. And we joined the Trevor Chandler's church in the valley. And from that, eventually, we planted the church in Meadowbrook, uh, not in Meadowbrook, in, in Rochdale South in 1983. And we went around various parts of the city, just anywhere. We first met in an old Uniting Church building, and we eventually that was sold to somebody else. And we just different parts of the city until eventually... Yeah, about five, six, seven years ago, we purchased the land in Meadowbrook, two acres, and built a building there. With, and uh, that's when the power of God fell in a most amazing way. We were meeting in the Griffith University in Meadowbrook, and everybody hated it, not because of the university, but there was no atmosphere. It was a lovely theatre, but everybody said, why can't we meet in the shed on the property? And I said, not good enough. It's an old tractor shed. And the Holy Spirit said to me, well, a stable was good enough for Jesus. I said, mm, okay. 
Now, we had people with BMWs and people that just had ordinary cars. They were all saying the same thing. So we were doing up the old shed just simply to, as a site office to build our building. So we quickly did it up a bit better, put an aircon in it, and God filled that building to overflowing. And the, the front row was about one foot in front of me, and I'd preach to these people. And there was nobody more amazed than me or the congregation or the musicians because I was tired, the congregation was tired, the musicians were tired. But the power of God fell from the very first day, and it just exploded. We had to have uh, canopies, what do you call it, uh, um, anyway, tents out to extend the shed, and people really? sat out there along with the peacocks from next door. <laughs> it was the most amazing experience. We baptized people from Mauritius there in a tank outside, and there was an old horse called Gigi. I thought it was Gigi, and the children used to bring um, – strawberries and carrots. And one of the reasons our church growth was that flipping horse. And, and Gigi knew, and he stands fencing, and all the kids would come. And it was like the Pied Piper of Meadowbrook. Wow. And from that it grew, and then we built the church, and and the shed movement began with Steve and, and Joel, and it's been a most amazing experience. Steve and Joel are the youth pastors at your church. Yes. And yes. they reach out to young people. I've preached there and yes. just been so impacted. It's amazing. See these kids. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, a lot of them have been suicidal, yes. have been cutting, yes. have been addicted yes. to things. That's right. And, uh, they come along and they just get loved. Yes. And uh, you're really uh, doing an amazing work there. Uh, but uh, Joel had a terrible motorbike accident. That's right. Uh, a while back and died a couple yes. of times That's and right. came back to life. Just yes. tell everyone that story. How did you find out about it? <clears throat> I got a phone call about 11 o'clock at night on Saturday night. I was in bed, and the phone rang. And you get a phone call like that as a pastor, you know something's either died overseas or something's very serious in your congregation. And it was from Steve saying Joel had had this terrible accident, and they didn't think he would live. Please pray. Well, I got up. I get a bit emotional when I tell the story. And we prayed because we knew he was, if we lost Joel, you know, there comes a time when all of us are going to die, but I just knew it wasn't right. I knew the enemy was trying to take him out, and it looked like he was going to win. So we prayed our hearts out that night, and I'd get reports back. You know, it's not looking too good. And uh, called, they called for the family, and they said, we don't think he's going to make it. His e- injuries are so serious. In fact, they'd never seen anybody, I think I'm correct in saying, they'd never seen anybody with such serious injuries survive. Well, he did survive. I think he had 21 operations. So this day he walks with a limp because he doesn't do the exercise. I hope you hear this, John, do the exercise, <laughs> because he's so busy. But He's recovered well. He's recovered well. Yeah, Jacob in the Bible says walk with a limp. Mm. And and Joel at that moment presently walks with a limp. But I tell you what, it's a, a limp that says, I'm so glad to be alive. God's rescued me. He's given me more time. And he just loves kids and loves, he's just a big bundle of love. Mm. It's God's love. And it's, it's, I really mean this sincerely. It's an absolute honour to serve alongside them. And he's an incredible uh, rapper yes. and singer. Yes. He works in uh, youth detention centres. That's right. Yeah. Uh, he performs, you know, reaches thousands of kids with the gospel. Yes. And uh, thank God uh, that he survived that. Yes. And, uh, you know, I interviewed him on this radio show That's about right. the accident. That's right. And fascinating story. He actually, uh, uh, you know, went on the radio and he was in hospital and... The nurse comes into him early one morning. She goes, you wouldn't believe it. I just heard this amazing story on the radio about this guy that was in a motorbike accident and he died and came back to life and he talked about how he had visions of Jesus and God protected him and everything. And she was in tears. He's going, what? 
You're not going to believe it. That's me. <laughs> and he ministered to this nurse in That's the hospital. Right. Amazing, all these God incidences right. that have happened. And, you know, such a great ministry you have now. Can I, I do- just interject something yep. there to encourage people that are listening? The Bible says, don't despise the day of small things. Yeah. And when we started that um, shared thing with Steve Beasel, and I give full credit to him, it was like a nothing. It was just another thing that we were going to try. And we tried everything to reach our community. And to be absolutely honest, we'd had a big F. F for failure. I thought we were. I thought it was a total failure. We had a, some wonderful people in our church, but we. I felt we were failing in the year of reaching people. Mm. So, from that, this this all all began. Yeah, it's amazing the fruit you're seeing. Yes. The other thing that I want you to share with our listeners is something quite personal. Mm. At the age of fifty, yes. you shared publicly for the first time ever yes. that you'd been abused as a child. That's right. Do you just want to share with our listeners what's the journey you've been through. I was sexually abused by a boys' brigade captain who took advantage of the fact that my folks had a business and in those days on a Friday night it was late night shopping in Wellington. He came around and took advantage of both myself and my brother. And that absolutely devastated my life, filled with insecurities that took me decades to get over. With God's help, I can say I am. But if you've ever had that, you'll know what I'm talking about. Nightmares, unable to sleep. Uh, you have very self, low self-esteem because your innocence is robbed and your future is taken from you. And I have a hatred for people that do that because Jesus didn't like them either. He said, stick a besser block around their neck and throw them in the river. That's my version. And if you are a pedophile, repent because God will help you. But if you've been in my situation, the only person that I think can help you is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has helped me. Um, but I suddenly discovered to my horror that nothing had been done about it. In my childhood innocence, um, I thought it stopped, and I to this day don't know why it did, but I thought somebody had spilled the beans, but it hadn't happened. So I went, I spoke to the federal police here, and they said, well, you really, this is a New Zealand matter, you'll have to go back there. So at my own expense, I jumped on a plane, went back to New Zealand, to Wellington, to Lower Hutt. It was the worst day of my life because I was interviewed by the police at length, and underneath that police station, the whole bottom floor was dedicated for children from abuse. And I actually finished that interview, went out and bought a leather jacket, which I still got to this day, and spoiled myself because it was horrific, reliving the whole thing. And they interviewed this guy eventually. I didn't get what I wanted. It was my day in court, but I did get the satisfaction that they they said, he'll never be touch another child because he's not capable but as long as he's alive, he'll be on record, and I was satisfied with that. But from that, I was very angry, and, and many things happened. And I've got a wonderful wife, Lois, who stood by me through all of that, and it wasn't easy for her or for anybody because all the garbage comes. They say when you're under pressure, all the scum comes to the top, and it's quite common for people to reach that age of, say, 50 before they can even talk about it. And if you're like that, you, you have my deepest sympathy, but talk to the Lord Jesus Get alongside somebody that's a Christian and they can help you. Now, there's a famous quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, I can forgive the inexcusable in others mm. because Christ forgave the inexcusable in me. Yes. Tell us how you went through the process of forgiveness. Oh, it was tough. I'll be honest, I hated the guy. I wanted to kill him and I wanted my day in court. And I think that's perfectly normal um, because of the destruction it had caused both my brother and myself. How did I come to forgiveness? It was a process because God has forgiven me 
I had to forgive him. But people say, oh, I can never forget, never forgive. No, there's a difference. You can forgive, but you never forget, because if you forget, you could let them do it again. So you forgive them, but you're always vigilant. Mm. And it was hard to get, I'll, I'll be quite honest, it was quite hard to get that position. But if I didn't forgive, I knew I was going to wreck my life and wreck my marriage and wreck my family. And so there's a cost, it was a big cost. And I'm a pastor, I've, I've been teaching forgiveness for years until I had to do it personally. I realized it's a lot harder than what you think, but I did, and I got released from it, and it doesn't bother me anymore. It's like the Bible says, forgive as Christ forgave that's you. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely. right, having forgiven much, love much. That's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dennis, uh, it's been wonderful to catch up with you today. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials, and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor.